First of all, I'm offended that you laughed at my hair. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it looked great. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, it's really powerful for me. I've seen the video like six times already this week, but there's something just really powerful about watching it uh, together with you this morning. Uh, Ten years, uh, it's pretty amazing to me. Uh, God has been really good to this church. You know, it was a, it was a dream of uh, Lindsay and mine's to, to start this church in Blaine, um, but you know, we didn't do it alone. Um, we had 82 people on our original launch team. We needed, you know, I couldn't just stand in this room and teach the Bible. We needed people who were going to greet at the door, people who are going to teach the kids who came about Jesus. We needed people in the worship band, all of those things. And so 82 of us uh, started this church together uh, 10 years ago this weekend. You know, the traditional stat in church planning is that 50% of your launch team that starts a church is usually gone at the 18th, at the 18 month mark. Uh, church planning uh, can be messy, uh, and it's just, it's, it's a lot, it's hard work. But by the grace of God, uh, 37 of those 82 people are still here today, uh, almost half 10 years later. And plenty of those people that aren't here uh, just simply have moved uh, to a different state uh, over the last decade. Uh, if you were one of those original 82 launch team members that worked super hard to get this church off the ground, you happen to be in first service this morning, would you just stand? Uh, we would love to just I'll recognize you and honor you wherever you're at. So thank you for being here. Thank you. You know, you know what's really, there's a number of things that's really fascinating about that original group. And, and one of it is, for the most part, we were just really young. I was 27 years old when I started this church. Zach was 23 uh, Ryan Speck, who many of you know, was uh, 21. Uh, Rachel Cheney, who joined us shortly thereafter, was 20. You know, I, I meet nowadays, um, since we're launching a lot of churches, I meet with a lot of prospective church planners. And I always joke that if a guy came into my office and said, I'm ready to start a church, uh, I have four leaders, they're 27, 23, uh, 21, and 20, that I would hypocritically say, get out of my office. <laughs> and yet... You know, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, right? He, he looks at the heart. And by the grace of God, despite all of our youthful mistakes, uh, here we are today, uh, 10 years later. You know, one of the, things, one of the other things that I think is fascinating about that, uh, that original group and now the 37 people that are still here is because so many of them were so young when we started this church, in the 10 years since, uh, plenty of them have gotten married. Uh, they've had a whole bunch of kids, right? And so that group has grown. And so if I add back in the people that they've since married, uh, the kids that they've now since had, that 37 people has added 33 more people to their families. So there's 70 of them, actually, if you count them as families, which is really cool. And God has just been faithful to use that group of people to launch this church that's reached hundreds of people for Christ uh, through this church, and really thousands more if you include our missions and church planning endeavors. In fact, today is a really special day in our church's history, uh, kind of for multiple reasons. I just love how God lined this up, and this wasn't even planned. The weekend in which we're turning 10 years old is the exact same weekend in which our church plants have now surpassed us in size. So what that means is our fifth church plant, Transform Church, which is launching uh, eight minutes from now, as they get started, that means that there will now be more people worshiping God in our church plants than there are at Renovation Church. And that is a really special moment for our church. And one of the things I really want you to see this morning is God has just been so faithful to this church. Like He is the reason we have been so blessed and so fruitful 
as a people. Right? There, there are no worldly things in which you can give credit to. Right? It's not because we are all the perfect age to start a church. I'm not even close. It's not because we've got this perfect environment. Um, you're actually in a, there's basketball hoops all around us right, right now, right? It's, it's just because God has just been faithful to this church. So this morning, as we uh, open up the Bible together, I want us to look at a passage that really illustrates God's faithfulness to his people. Uh, we're going to actually read a passage from uh, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. So if you want to follow along, there's a Bible under every chair. Go ahead and grab it. Uh, we are going to be on page 593, uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app. You just have Bible in weekly verses. And so we're going to look at a prophecy that Isaiah gave uh, in the 700s of BC. And it's a, profo- it's a prophecy that would actually be fulfilled in the year 539 BC in history. So uh, about 200 years or so after Isaiah said it. So here we go, page 593. We're going to be Isaiah chapter 46. I'm going to start right at verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, Bel bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. Okay, what what in the world is Isaiah prophesying about? Uh, what he's talking about is the eventual fall of the kingdom of Babylon. Uh, these, these words in particular are actually going to be an incredible encouragement to the Jews because about a hundred years after Isaiah prophesies this, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going to come to Jerusalem. They're, they're going to demolish much of the city. They're going to destroy the temple, and they're going to exile God's people off to Babylon. So who then are Bel and Nebo that Isaiah is talking about? Now, Bel and Nebo are actually the two main Babylonian gods. And so what is Isaiah saying? He's saying this. He's saying, okay, friends, you're going to have to know this in the future. Don't worry, because soon enough, Bel and Nebo, these statues, because that's all they are, are going to be stooped down. They're going to be turned over, bowed down, and they're actually going to be carried away on carts on the backs of beasts. And Isaiah was totally right. You can look this up in history. Uh, In the year 539 BC, the Persians and the Medes, they conquer Babylon, and these supposed gods of Bel and Nebo would have been carried off, right, on a cart, on the backs of animals, into exile. And many of the Babylonians would have been carried right along with them, unable to be saved by their powerless gods. But the one true God, he's not an idol. He's not a statue. So let's keep reading. Let's go to verse 3 now. This is the Lord sort of speaking through Isaiah. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel. You whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Okay, now look at the difference between the Lord and these idols. So in verses 1 and 2, the people have to carry, literally carry their idols because their idols couldn't carry them. 
through their difficulties. But in verses 3 to 4, we see that God promises that he will carry us. In fact, I mean, there's a, there's a number of promises and truths that you can just really hold on to as a Christian in these two verses, right? Because God tells his people quite a number of things. He says that he made you. He says he will carry you. He has carried you since your birth. He will continue to sustain you, and he will carry you even till your hairs are gray and into your old age. And I just think this is a really fitting passage for our our 10th birthday. Because the, the truth is, God has carried this church in his faithfulness to it. You know, I could sit up here and I could just tell you endless stories of God's faithfulness. But I think perhaps one of the places that is most obvious where God has been faithful to us has been the response that we've seen through the sharing of the gospel. Like, as we have very faithfully for 10 years now, declared God's good news of salvation to people, God has just been so faithful to this church. You know, we saw the faithfulness of God in January of 2010. Jason Fontaine was the very first person who came to Christ at our church, responded to the gospel a couple months into our services. And God has done just incredible things through him and through his family. You know, I jump ahead, I think, to uh, in 2013. We were in Haiti, and we saw the very first person from a different country come to Christ because someone from our church shared the gospel with them. But, and that continued to increase. You know, all the way I looked at 2018, and our Rwanda team goes to Rwanda and shared the gospel with so many people, and they saw... 3,000 people come to Christ because of God's good news. Right? You can see, excuse me, you can see God's faithfulness here in this room every single time we share the gospel at an event like Easter. You know, I, I talk to pastors all the time and they'll pull me aside and they'll say, wait, I don't really understand. So you, you do these events and you, you actually require people to go to the service first to hear about Jesus? And I'll say, yeah. And they'll say, and they come? I'll say, yeah. Because the world is hungry for truth. 2,500 people came at Easter, right? Some of you in this room right now were saved on that day. That's God's faithfulness to our church, particularly as we've been just faithful to him and trusting in him and his message. You know, at Renovation Church, we, we just believe so strongly in being faithful to God and his message, not only because God has just proven his faithfulness to our church for over 10 years, but also because in Scripture, and I would say also even history, those things have proven that God is the one that is unchanging and, un, and unchanging and the unfailing one. Now, I want you to think about this. Okay, let's say that you had uh, showed up in, in Babylon, uh, maybe at the height of Babylonian power. So let's say it's 580 BC. You walk in. Uh, Babylon at the time was the most powerful kingdom on earth. You would have been in the most powerful city in the world. What would you have thought? You would have looked around. You would have seen its amazing, enormous walls. Uh, you would have seen its vast army. You, you would have been in awe. You, you would have looked around. You walk around the city. The hanging gardens of Babylon were there. Do you, know, do you know what those are? It was actually one of the seven wonders of the world. 
See, Babylon at the time, they had the best leaders, they had the best artists, they had the best thinkers. And after being there a while, you would have thought, how could I disagree with this culture? You might have even thought, perhaps I should just kind of give up my own ways and just acclimate with the culture because everybody else is going in this way. Read Daniel chapter 1 in the Bible. Many people did just that. You would have felt like such a religious minority if you had been in Babylon at the height of its power. As an ancient person, you might have even thought, surely the worship of the Babylonian gods, Bel and Nebo, is just going to last forever. And you would have thought, okay, this is everything in the culture is trending this way, and I don't really want to be on the wrong side of history, so I should just acclimate to where the culture is going. And yet, when the troubles came, when new ideas came, when the now more powerful Persian army comes, the great and powerful gods of Babylon are carried off on a cart, relegated to the back pages of history. You probably have never even heard of their names until this morning. Friends, this is why history is really, really important. Because this actually isn't just the story of the Babylonian gods. It's the story of anyone who rises up against the one true God. Okay, what about, let's go back, you know, maybe not 2,500 years. Let's go back, say, 1,700 years or 1,800 years. What, what about the Roman Empire and its fierce opposition to Christianity, particularly on how one should go about living their life? Right? What about the powerful Roman gods of Apollo and Mars? Where are they? Right? They're discredited. They're just, they're just stories. Okay, well, let's go back to the Greeks, right? Now, the Greeks were so frustrated and so angry at the Christians for their claims of exclusive, exclusivity because the Christians came in and said, no, 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 it, Jesus is the only way to salvation. And they said, no, 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 what about all the Greek gods? Okay, but where are Zeus and Poseidon now? Right? They're just, they've been pushed back to the myth section at your local library. Let's jump forward in history. Okay, uh, what about when the Soviet Union was going to spread atheism to the countries of Eastern Europe for all of time? Well, we all know that fell apart in 1989, right? Uh, even our good friend Ben Pierce, who speaks here often, you know, he was in Ukraine this summer. They were leading thousands of people to Christ. Or what about how in the late 60s, a chairman Mao, he brings about the Chinese Cultural Revolution, right? And they were going to stamp Christianity out of China for once and for all. It's another failure. I don't know if you've heard the step, but there, there are now, there's such revival in that country that there are now more Christians in China than there are people in the United States. And so we cannot and we will not cater to the current cravings and pressures of our culture and thus adapt God's word. I just want you to hear me on this. Before you know it, these very same idols of our culture that we all sort of feel this pressure to right now that we need to bow down to, we need to adapt to, before you know it, they will be carried out on a cart, proven to be worthless. Even today, I would tell you that you can see the cracks in the ground on which our culture's idols sit. 
Like the culture of the past 20 years that has insisted that we are all free to do anything that we want has now led us to a generation of people that are lacking in direction, they're struggling to find meaning and purpose, and thus many of them are ending their lives in suicide at an unprecedented rate. Their gods of freedom ended up being statues of emptiness. And before you know it, those gods are going to be carried out on a cart. And so as a church... And I know you know this, but I just want to reiterate this as we look now even into the future, is that we're going to take the long view of history in the future. We're going to keep teaching the old truths of the gospel. We're going to keep believing in God's faithfulness to sustain us. The power is in God's word. God's word does not become more powerful when you adapt it to be like the culture so it now feels a little bit more palatable to people's ears. If we adapt the teaching of God's word at this church to better suit the culture, then you can take this church and put it out on a cart 15 years from now. One of the things I think we have to realize is since Jesus ascended back into heaven 2,000 years ago, thousands upon thousands of different cultures have come and they have gone, and yet God's word remains. So we're just going to continue to trust in God to carry us through. He's carried this church for 10 years now. I think back to the fall of 2014. Uh, Two weeks after we had just celebrated our fifth birthday, I stood on the stage and I announced to our church for the very first time that we were going to begin raising money for land. We knew that God was calling us to a land somewhere, but I said it was kind of like Abraham. We didn't know where it was, <laughs> and we didn't. But we just knew that he was calling us to it. And the absolutely incredible people of this church, they began to give generously in faith of God's faithfulness. Uh, even though it would actually be almost three more years until we secured the amazing piece of land that we actually own. But we just trusted in God because God knew where he was taking us. And we believed that in God's faithfulness that he would carry us through. And we just also believe here at this juncture that God's carrying us into the future and he knows where he's taking us. I think that's just our story, is that he was faithful then, so we're going to believe that he's going to be faithful again. In light of that, one of the things that I wanted to do this morning was to bring some needs to you and just ask for your assistance in prayer. Uh, It has certainly not been uh, an easy process to get to where we are today. Uh, I can tell you, in my own personal life, there has been nothing harder that I have ever done uh, than work on this building project uh, the past five years now. And yet, I I see the challenges, the difficulties of this process uh, as a blessing because they've just been an opportunity to see God's faithfulness through and through, especially as we've sought him in prayer. You know, if I go back to, you know, maybe two, two and a half years ago, three years ago, we, we really thought that we could never afford the piece of land that we have. But when we rallied the church together in prayer, God came through with a miracle. And we were able to purchase that amazing piece of land for $600,000 less than it's worth. That's amazing. And now, as we get kind of to the end of 2019 here, 
we have another big moment in front of us. Uh, Just this Friday afternoon, two days ago, uh, we uh, submitted our latest round of architectural drawings to an appraiser. Now, if you've ever purchased a home before, you know how this works. If you haven't, let me just kind of explain it to you. Uh, Let's say that you are looking to buy a home, and you've kind of been house shopping online for months, and you find a house that you want to buy, and it's listed at $250,000. Now, because you've spent all of your waking hours looking at houses online, you know how this goes, right? You, you feel like you've looked at 100 houses already, and you see this house is worth $250,000, and you think, that's actually a super good price for this house. And so, let's say you put in an offer at the list price of $250,000, because you actually think that's a great deal, and you want to make sure that you get it. So, you put in an offer, $250,000. But before the bank will actually give you the loan, they need to send an appraiser to that house. And the appraiser is going to walk through every room, look at every piece of the foundation in your attic and all over the place. And they are going to determine what they think the house is worth. And this is where many people have had their hearts broken, right? (laughs) Maybe you've been in this process before. Even though you may be convinced that that house is worth at least $250,000, If the appraiser says the value of your home is actually $225,000, the bank is only going to give you a loan based off that $225,000 number. They don't care that you think it's worth $250,000. They're giving you a loan based off that. And if you still want to buy it at $250,000, now you maybe don't have the money to actually purchase it. And we as a church are are in a similar moment. And so our church building team, and let me just say, we have some incredible people from our church uh, on that team, incredibly talented. Uh, We have a a, a retired CFO from a large company. We have a financial specialist. We have an architect who goes to our church. We have a civil, it's a land engineer. We have a contractor. And our building team feels that the value of both our church property and our future building should absolutely support the loan that we need. We especially feel that our land has really good value based on everything. I mean, you've driven by there, based on everything that's happening in that corner. (laughs) I feel like, I don't know, once a week or every other week, someone from the community will say hi to me, and they'll say, hey, where's that land again that you guys got? And I tell them where it is. And it's it's creepy, but 100% of people say the exact same thing back to me when I tell them where it is. They say, oh, that's a good spot. (laughs) <laughs> and it is, and we think it's a great spot. However, we're just at this point where it's just out of our hands. And so over the next 30 days, an appraiser is going to be combing through all of our building documents, and they're going to be studying our land, and at the end of 30 days, we're going to get an appraised value for our future building in our land. And that appraised value will then be a massive factor in determining what we have left to raise if we still want to break ground uh, at the end of March, which is just five and a half months from now. Now, unless you're new around here, and I know many of you are, I guess, but for those of you that have been around, it's not really news that we've been planning for a long time, that we're going to have to raise some additional money this November, kind of into December, no matter what happens with the appraisal. And that's mostly just because 80 to 100 of you are new in the last 12 months. And last year, if you remember, in November, there was another 100 of you that were new And the 12 months previous to that. And we wanted you to be a part of this with us. 
And so part of our financial plan all along has been at each year, we want to be able to include the people that are new. And we just know that it'll take sort of three rounds to make sure that we're there. And we know that we'll, we need to raise money. The bulk of it was in November 2017, but then again in November 2018, and then finally the last time in November 2019. And so what will happen in mid to late November of this year, which isn't far from now, we're going to have this few-week process where we're going to acquire pledges from those of you that are new and for maybe revised pledges from those of you that have been here. And the appraised value of our building and property will be a massive factor in us determining, okay, what's left? What do, what do we need for pledges to make sure that we're there, breaking ground in five and a half months? Now, as we've planned our building team for this appraisal in our calculations, our team has structured our plan based off us getting back what I would call probably a conservative to middle-of-the-road appraisal. And if that happens, right, even if it's kind of a little bit low, right, which we're, we're planning on just in case, right, if it's a conservative to middle-of-the-road appraisal, well, we, we, and then we see come in what we kind of had always been planning to raise this November, which I think is quite doable. If all of that happens, I just want to tell you that we should be right on track to break ground in just five and a half months. But if the appraisal comes back really low, which is some of you know from your own personal experience can happen, then we'd have to do a serious reevaluation of our timeline for starting construction in just five months. And it would require uh, probably most likely us to raise a significant amount more of money. So, we need to pray, okay? We aren't just going to sit around and do nothing for 30 days. We need to pray. We don't know uh, what God's plan is, and I, I personally, I think our leaders are, are and our building team have been steering us on an incredibly wise plan for a really long time, but we're just at that point in the process where it's just out of our hands, and all we can do is pray. And so this is what we're going to do. Starting tomorrow, I want our church to be engaged in 30 days of appraisal, 30 days of prayer. You're all going to go out and appraise. <laughs> 30 days, <laughs> and give us a good number. Uh, 30 days of prayer for this appraisal. And so what, what we're proposing is we want at least three individuals or groups to be out at our land praying for God's favor in this appraisal every day for 30 days. Uh, there's a sign-up right on the hallway to go out and pray for our land. I know most of you know where it is. If you don't know where our piece of land is, uh, it's the long strip kind of on the southeast corner of Lexington and 125th in Blaine, uh, immediately south to, of where that Shell gas station used to be. If you haven't driven by there, it is uh, no more. So you can uh, go and you can drive in by the quick trip, go on the frontage road, park your car, and walk on the land and pray. Uh, by three individuals or groups a day, I just mean, like, if you're coming home from work and you stop at the land to pray on your way home, that that's, a, that's one, right? Or if you're home with your kids and you're going to take them to the Lexington Athletic Complex to play at Farm Park or whatever you call it, that's what we call it at my house, and, and you, that you would stop at the land with your kids and pray, that that would be one. So we want at least three of those every day for 30 days. And by the way, with your kids, take your kids out and pray. We need their faith. <laughs> and, and I just think, I want this to be sort of a seminal moment for them. 
that they would go out and they would pray that God would do this, and then, Lord willing, five and a half months from now, they see with their own eyes it going up. I just think it's a powerful thing for your family to do together. And this is a massive moment for our church, and so we're going to seek God's favor on it. We're not just going to sit around and say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. We're going to seek God on this. You know, I'm reminded of the Israelites in the Exodus when Pharaoh finally relents and he lets the people go. There's these little two verses in Exodus, and it says that the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed to the Israelites. Disposed. So they, the, the, the Egyptians go out to the Israelites and they say, Here's my gold, here's my silver. The Lord made them favorably disposed to what they were doing. And so we're going to pray that God makes the people doing this appraisal favorably disposed towards our ministry. And that God would continue to be faithful to this church and what he's calling us to accomplish for his kingdom. And I believe that God can do that. I mean, we trust in his plan. I just believe, listen, if there's, you know, if we fill 90 slots and there's families in there, I mean, there's well over 100 of our people out there for 30 days calling on God, praying that he would move, that this wouldn't be a roadblock to what we're trying to accomplish. Remember what I've been teaching you this past year. We don't move forward because of our great ideas or our great strategies or our great business systems. The power is in prayer. And God has brought us this far. So we're going to trust in God, okay? God has brought us this far. Listen to me. We are so close. Those of you that have been here for a long time, we've been working on this for five years. And now we are five months from breaking ground. I just, I just want to remind you, he was faithful then. We're just going to believe that he's going to be faithful again. Okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that you have been so faithful to this church. So many salvations, so many lives changed, so many families that are changed, kids that are growing up, now learning about you, trusting in you, following you. Jesus, we ask in your name for favor on this property that this would not be a roadblock and that we could continue on going where we think that you're leading us. God, we just want to reach so many more people for your name. There's so many more families growing in you because of this. And so we just ask for your help In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.